Greetings, greenhouse people. Oh man, I am excited about this one. Not only did I have the opportunity to talk to two of the most intelligent people in the field of disease diagnostics, but we covered some very important topics full of fresh takes and new research findings. My guests are Dr. Ann Chase and Dr. Aaron Palmatier, and I definitely want to thank CPRO for helping make this happen. On the agenda this episode was greenhouse disease, and it's really timely with the season kicking off as we speak, and actually, it's timely pretty much whenever you have a chance to listen. In this one, we start with top diseases to watch for in the coming year, including one of the most talked about ones these days, botrytis. Anne and Aaron then dive into bacterial diseases specifically before moving on to viruses. This is a power-packed episode of the Tech on Demand podcast brought to you by Grower Talks, where our goal is always to bring you tips, tricks, and information to produce your best crops ever. Be sure to subscribe to the Tech on Demand podcast on your favorite app like iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and more, so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and I'm very excited to be joined by these wonderful guests. Let me run through their bios, which are quite impressive. Dr. Ann Chase graduated from the University of California at Riverside with a Ph.D. from the Department of Plant Pathology in 1979. She was Professor of Plant Pathology at the University of Florida, Central Florida Agricultural Research and Education Center from 79 until 1993, and then started Chase Horticultural Research in February of 1994. The business conducted contract research, diagnostics, consulting, and training through talks and writing on diseases of ornamentals. Chase Agricultural Consulting was opened in December of 2011, specializing in educating and consulting with growers and suppliers in ornamentals as well as select agricultural crops. She and her husband Mike continued to produce the monthly newsletter Chase Digest as well as Ask Ann for quick consultations on disease ID and control. She and Mike are also back in the business of trials in their Arizona operation, which recently relocated to North Central Phoenix. One of the companies they conduct trials for is CPRO, so she and our next guest spend plenty of time together talking through various diseases and chemistries. Dr. Aaron Palmatier is the technical development lead for the ornamental business at CPRO. He started in the ornamental industry as faculty member in the Department of Plant Pathology at the University of Florida, where he's currently a courtesy professor. His expertise lies heavily in plant diagnostics and identifying diseases and disorders. He's authored numerous publications, including extension fact sheets and technical bulletins focusing on managing pests and diseases of ornamental plants. He has extensive experience conducting pesticide efficacy trials and results from his research are widely practiced in the ornamental industry. Currently, Anne and Aaron are working on the second edition of the Compendium of Diseases of Ornamental Foliage Plants, originally published by Anne in 1987. They certainly play well together, and you're going to love this podcast because they dig below the surface to uncover new approaches to greenhouse disease challenges new and old. So let's get started. Anne and Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, Bill, great, great to be here. Awesome. It's really good to talk to you guys. I know that, uh, that, that we've got a lot of good information to cover today. So why don't we just kick this off by getting to know you a little bit. The listeners have heard your bios and seen you at 
industry events and conferences, probably many times discussing uh, greenhouse topics, but you might not be aware that they know each other and have collaborated even before Aaron recently joined CPRO and began incorporating some of Ann's work, trialing products into the day-to-day -day consultations he does with growers. So I guess to, to, to start us off, why don't you both share a little bit about what you do, what you're working on now, because I'm, I'm sure you're busy. And, uh, and before you finish, one of you guys has to tell the story of when you first met, because it really is a good one. And would you like me to go first or would you like to take it? Go right ahead, Aaron. Oh, okay. It, for, first off, Bill, um, I just want to recognize uh, CPRO, um, who, you know, as I recently made the transition to, to join the CPRO um, ornamental business. Um, but they're just, they're making a tremendous investment into, into our industry. And it's really an exciting time to be part of the CPRO organization and especially um, in my role as a technical development manager, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy box. Uh, <laughs> but but enough enough about that. Um, I really want to start and by by mentioning that whether she knows it or not, you know, Anne was a huge mentor for me starting out at the University of Florida. She she was and as you know continues to be you know very prolific. Um, did a ton of applied research for ornamental plant pathology. Um, really, like you know, when I was an assistant professor starting out, really, really made my job easy. She was, you know, she was the the major source for all of the scientific reference material as it pertains to ornamentals. But not only you know refereed publications, but also books books like diseases of house plants, diagnostic guides for foliage plants, and. And so, you know, I, um, I just wanted to, you know, recognize her efforts and, and it's just, it's really exciting to be here with her today and, and to talk about uh, what we both love, which is plant pathology. That's awesome. That's awesome. And why don't, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now and, uh, uh, and then we can go ahead and get started on the, the meat of this conversation. So I will start off by saying that I actually graduated in 1979 from the University of California at Riverside working on a cut foliage, not cut, yeah, cut flower crop. So I've spent since 1976 working in the ornamental industry and I absolutely love it. I would be so bored if I worked on corn or something like that. And I love the fact that we are continually bringing up new plants, creating them, bringing them in from offshore and therefore a whole bunch of new diseases. So I am now just doing really very practical uh, trials, mainly in the range of looking at efficacy of products, whether they're biologicals or they're more conventional chemistry. And as Aaron mentioned, you know, I have worked a long time on um, products in this area, starting at the University of Florida in 1979. And I continue today because I don't see any way that I can manage to retire. I think I'd be so bored, I wouldn't be able to figure out what to do with myself. So still working, doing a lot of things uh, and really enjoy working with Aaron. And I'll tell you a, a pretty quick story about not really when I met Aaron, but the first time that I knew that we were going to be really, really good friends, and we were attending an annual plant pathology meeting in Rhode Island in 2012, and we're sitting together at a committee meeting for ornamentals, and they're going around trying to figure out who they can uh, 
strong arm into being the new chairman on it. And so I, I'm sitting by Aaron, mind you, and within striking range. And most people wouldn't say what he said to me when I could get a hold of him, but but he did. So I said, my gosh, I think I was chairman of this thing in some year I mentioned. And I said, well, you know, I graduated from high school in 1972. And he's just sitting there touching distance says, I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> and I knew instantly that we were going to be really good friends. And from then on, we have been and we worked on a lot of things together. Still do. I love it. I love that story. I think it it, it says a lot about our industry um, and, and how everybody works together and, and folks that have been doing it a, a long time will sit alongside someone who's, you know, relatively new and, uh, and, and share wisdom and experience. Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, Anne, was this uh, continual innovation and bringing all these new plants and varieties to market does uh, really lead to more research into how they respond to all these different strategies. And I, I know that's something that, that you work a lot on, and, and I'm sure we're going to touch on some of that um, throughout this podcast. So, you know, and, and the work both you you are doing, and, and Aaron, you mentioned it with CPRO's investment in the industry, it's really critical work for uh, what, what greenhouse professionals, our listeners are doing every day in their, in their greenhouses around the world. So why don't we jump right into the topic for the podcast, which is greenhouse diseases. You know, I said greenhouse diseases in 2022. These are diseases that aren't, that aren't necessarily new this year, but, but they're certainly ones that a lot of the listeners need to be aware of in terms of avoiding problems, identifying the problems, and, and then really, if need be, taking care of them when they do occur. So, you know, what, what do you feel are the top diseases that growers need to be concerned about as we head into spring 2022 production? Bill, I'll go. I'll go ahead and, and start with this one um, first. You know, this is a, a timely question you know, as growers start to ramp up for for spring crops. As I know you're aware, you know, botrytis you know remains a recurring issue in all greenhouse production, especially on on spring crops. However, propagation time always means you know seedling disease pathogens. You know, things like Fusarium, Pythium, Phytophthora, Rhizoctonia, Philaviopsis. Uh, but in, in the greenhouse, you, you also really need to be concerned about bacterial pathogens. Um, and, and when it comes to propagation, especially the, the soft rot bacteria, um, I'm sure Ann can speak more on soft rot. She's, I know bacteria, bacteria are near and dear to her heart. Um, but, you know, another nasty disease uh, that likes greenhouse conditions uh, can, is downy mildew. And, and several downy mildews can be alive and well um, in, in certain areas of the region outdoors. Like in, in my area, especially during the winter, we can see downy mildew. And of course, that's just, uh, you know, potential for it to spread into, into production um, and move as, you know, most path pathogens do in, in our industry, you know, the, the widespread shipment of plant material. Um, but, mo you know, most of my experience resides working with growers in Florida. You know, was on, when, when I was on faculty there, it was like almost 13 years um, and, you know, worked a lot on, on tropical foliage and, and other houseplants. And, and, you know, as the popularity continues to increase, you know, I see more and more greenhouse production, uh, including tropicals, all, all through the country. And, you know, with that, 
you know, uh, comes a lot of these, these, you know, tropical pathogens, if you will, you know, these material coming in from, from Central America, coming in from Florida and, you know, just uh, like to call it job security stuff moves all over. Um, and so, you know, outside of the, the diseases I already mentioned, you know, you're going to see things like anthracnose and, and uh, myrothesiums, um, uh, especially, you know, this time of year, um, um, and then going into spring more, more into the anthracnose, but, um, I'll let, I'll let Ann chime in. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you just uh, mentioned Marathesium, which I also really liked working on when I was in Florida. But one of the things that I see tremendously common and it is year round is when New Guinean patients cuttings are shipped into the greenhouses, they very frequently have myrothesium already. And it's something that is in a way happening during shipping. I mean, they're contaminated perhaps when they're put in the box, but the bruising and wounding that happens in the uh, cutting process and then bringing them out, pretty frequently these things already have myrothesium started on them, which is interesting. So a lot of the problems I'm seeing now that are gonna be hopefully over in a few months are being there are things that are happening because of shipping delays. And if people even get the cuttings and the propagation material they order, it's coming to them in rough shape. And I think that um, you really have to be on top of it and do some preventative treatments in order to keep things from getting out of hand. Yep, good point. Uh, and, and, and you both touched on a lot of things that we're going to dig into here as we go. Um, Aaron, one of the things you said that jumped, really jumped out at me was because of the increased popularity of foliage and tropical plants um, all across North America, uh, probably is good time to for the listeners to educate themselves and their teams um, on some of these, you know, what what we could call regional diseases that are really spreading. And uh, and then and when you talked about shipping delays, I know that's an, an acute issue uh, right now um, as we're recording and um, really just. The fact that those young plants have been through the ringer before they get to the greenhouse can lead to all sorts of problems if you're not uh, jumping on them right away when, when they're delivered. Um, Aaron, one of the first diseases you just mentioned was botrytis. And, you know, everybody knows I'm not a grower, um, but I do work with a lot of folks who deal with growers and the challenges that, that are in greenhouses and botrytis always comes up every single time. And it seems like an ever-present issue, um, sometimes year-round. So maybe that's where we should start on this. And I don't, I don't know which one of you wants to go, but I do know you're both going to have a lot to say on this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I know I'm excited for Ann to share some some results, but I, I will just mention, you know, Bill, it's really funny because. Um, in, in my area, you know, South Florida, we don't really have traditional greenhouses, if you will. You know, things are a lot of stuff that's grown in greenhouses elsewhere is outdoors here. Um, they, they do have a lot under shade and they, they do during the wintertime, we'll put up plastic. And under the, the conditions where you do have the plastic enclosures, uh, we, we definitely can see some botrytis. But, but, but what's funny is, is botrytis um, throughout my years with the University of Florida was, was rarely on my radar. We would see some flare-ups on geraniums and, and, and such, but 
Um, it wasn't until uh, I, I actually shifted gears and, and moved on, moved to Bear and started traveling all over the country uh, where I started seeing just, man, Botrytis is, is a real animal in, in a greenhouse environment. And, and yeah, and since then, it's, it's definitely been on the radar. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it occurs uh, just about everywhere. We, you've got uh, greenhouse production. And, uh, you know, the, because it's such a great opportunist, um, you know, the, the host range is, is you, you know, there's, I mean, there's plants that are highly susceptible but never ruled out. It essentially can jump on any kind of wound and and and, and cause problems from there. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let uh, Dr. Chase take over and talk about some of her some of her you know recent research that she shared with me, and and I'm sure everybody will appreciate uh, what she has to say. Thanks, Aaron. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me is that. When I worked at University of Florida in the 80s and early 90s, I probably did one trial on Botrytis the entire 14 years. It just really isn't an issue mainly on some of these crops. And it's partly, you know, honestly, Florida has plenty of other stuff to kill plants. It really doesn't need Botrytis too. So when I moved to California, I started to see it all the time. And there is a perception that botrytis really only occurs when it's cool and um, very damp kind of situation. But honestly, if you take a susceptible plant, you can make botrytis occur when it's 110 degrees. It is striking and amazing that it will be that variable. But as Bill was mentioning earlier, we're seeing a lot of delays on shipping. And I actually ordered some geranium plugs. Um, vegetative propagated geraniums, and they got delayed at the origin because of a big winter storm. So they sat in a box for three days before they even got shipped. And when I got them, they were looking kind of rough. And I was wondering what to do with them, actually. But I ended up transplanting them and decided, what the heck, why don't I just put out a treatment, just one treatment of some of the best botrytis fungicides and see what happened. See if I could... Uh, keep them alive or clean them up or whatever the case may be. So I did the one treatment and the products I decided to look at were Decree, Broadform, Positiva, which is a new fungicide that Syngenta is launching in a couple of months, Orchestra Intrinsic and a Stun, because they've been the best in our trials. And I was trying to cover a little bit of breadth with the uh, frac groups, not a lot there, but a little bit of different things so that I could have some uh, resistance management tools. And then I start rating them every week. And what we saw is one week after that first spray, the best plants that had the least botrytis, number one was Positiva, no botrytis sporulation that I could see at all. And then from then on, Decree and Broadform were really good, very, very low. A stun was pretty low, but interestingly enough, Orchestra did not do any good. It was an odd thing because I've seen it be very good in previous trials in the last about 10 Oh, what, eight years or so. So then I thought, well, let's see what happens if I don't treat them. Let's say I don't want to spend a lot of money treating these plants. Is one going to really help me? And interestingly enough, it lasted about two weeks pretty well. And then it started to break apart. By the third week afterward, we saw the control in most of the treatments pretty much disappear. The best one at the end of the trial turned out to be Positiva. So it's really worth the trouble to even just apply one 
application of the right thing. And I wouldn't recommend you spray uh, all the plants with something for botrytis, but honestly, if you know the diseases that are more likely on certain plants, you can spray the right thing and then just watch them for a couple of weeks and be prepared to do something else if you have to. So don't, don't be, don't be uh, uh, too frugal because those plants have been through a lot on their way uh, yeah. to the greenhouse. I think that, exactly. That, that's interesting. And it is, you know, I, I, I do know enough to know that there's a lot of new chemistries uh, coming to the market. You mentioned Pastiva and, and, and that these are, you know, fairly, fairly high tech and that chemical companies, um, Aaron, you probably know, you've got a lot of experience with, with chemical uh, new chemicals coming to market. Um, these are really being developed to help growers and, and make their lives easier, right? hundred percent. And, and I'm going to um, just mention something else um, as it pertains to Botrytis and, and, you know, Anne, Anne mentioned the frat groups and the different frat groups that she chose, you know, because Botrytis you know, notorious for, for developing resistance. It's one of those high risk uh, pathogens uh, because it's such a heavy sporulator. Uh, but, you know, as, as a plant pathologist that's had a long history, you know, maybe not as long as some, some other plant pathologists we know, but, but a long history of, of conducting uh, pesticide efficacy trials it is so cool. I, it's, I mean, it's, it's just super exciting to come across products that are highly effective at controlling disease. And I remember when I, when I was working on downy mildew and, 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 and to be able to, to just stop a, a disease that, that's, that, that is that aggressive, this is downy mildew on impatience. Um, and then, you know, you get, you get really excited about it and, and then you, you share the results the problem is, is that uh, the growers then fall in love with certain products and then they fail to rotate and pathogens do what they do. They, 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 they evolve and develop resistance. And, and so, I mean, the, the rotation is, is just so important in our world. And I mean, I, you know, I play in the bug world as well, but, but when it comes to, to pathogens and just the, the genetic, uh, the, the, the potential for mutations and, and also the just reproductive capacity of these pathogens is, is pretty remarkable. So, um, you, you have to rotate. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, and don't, uh, you, you know, just because something works really well, uh, it's best to use it judiciously and, and, and to, to make sure that you're, you're mixing it up. And, and these labels nowadays, with uh, with the different you know, with the frat codes, it just it makes it easy, you know. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of my my take on 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 rotation for sure. And and you're and, uh, you're an evangelist yeah. for rotation. I I know oh, that. And I, I guess know I. <laughs> well, you definitely are, and you've taught a okay. lot of people about it. Do you have anything to add to what Aaron said? Yeah, I one thing that I thought of when Aaron was uh, sharing. A minute ago was that one of the problems that we have with resistance management is that we are truly international at this time. And if a product is being used elsewhere, you could actually import the plant material with a resistant pathogen on it. So it's pretty tough. It's, it's pretty stacked against us. 
But uh, when I left University of Florida in 94, I would have said we wouldn't have a lot of products still because things were not looking that good for the ornamental industry. But honestly, I love having to eat my words because we have more than ever. And the development of new products, either premixes or products uh, that are in completely new groups so that we know we can do uh, rotation with them. And the efficacy level is really high on almost all of these newer things. So it's pretty exciting time. And um, Aaron said it was easy to rotate because they have the frack group listed on it. Well, that was nice of everybody. However, it's still not easy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of complexity that if you live and breathe this stuff like Aaron and I do, okay, it's easy for us. It's not that easy for a lot of the people that are on the ground trying to keep crops alive. So we've actually tried to help with that and developed a little chart. And um, it shows which essentially what products are in what frack groups and little bubbles so that you don't have to remember the numbers. You can just look at it and tell what you would really do a bad job of if you rotated two that had the same uh, frack group. So we try to make it easier. I love doing artwork kind of stuff. So we'll see, see if it helps or not. For sure. And I, I've, I actually have a copy of that chart. And if I can understand it, I think that a uh, grower with way more uh, knowledge of these chemistries will be able to understand it with no problem. And I will put a link to uh, to that chart um, to where you can you can order that chart from Anne in the show notes. And um, yeah, this has been a lot of really good information, very practical. Uh, I hope everybody who's listening has taken notes. Um, we started uh, with a specific disease. So why don't we broaden it out a little bit? And because I'm, I'm interested in, in what you both have to say about bacterial diseases in general. You know, what are, what are the usual suspects? You mentioned a few of them earlier, but let's get a little bit deeper. And, um, you know, what do the listeners and their production teams need to know uh, as we head into the spring to get prepared to handle some of these uh, bacterial diseases? Good, good deal. I, I can um, start out with this one, uh, Bill, as I, as I did, I did mention the, the soft rot bacteria and, you know, and, you know, nowadays it's kind of interesting because there's, they've, they've broken up, you know, what was originally always referred to as Irwinia um, in, into uh, several different genera that, you know, there's, there's genera out there now called like Bec Pectobacterium and, and Dickia. Uh, but they're, you know, they're, they're all uh, soft rot bacteria. They're, they're also, you know, as bacteria do, they're, they're very effective at, at colonizing any kind of wound or, or stress plants. And um, one of the things uh, that I learned about with, with in, in our industry is in, in, in relation to the movement of plants is that latent infection. So latent infection being, you know, asymptomatic, no, no symptom expression uh, is a big deal. It's a, it can be a big problem. And, and I, I had an experience with, uh, with orchid growers that were importing plants from, from, you know, Southeast Asia and uh, they get there, they look beautiful, and then all of a sudden they they start to melt. And um, and you know, so there's a there's a trigger often with these with these pathogens or these potential pathogens that whether it's stress or you know it's just the change in environment in, induces you know that's the mechanism that that induces uh, the disease to to turn on. And and you know so. Um, 
and again, it's not just not just foliage plants with soft rot bacteria. There's you know it goes across the board, um, and you know so th that's one that's, that's really important. Um, there's you know looking at, at at bacterial pathogens in general. I mean you know you've got the the infamous crown gall pathogen, uh, Agrobacterium. I know Anne's done. You know, she, she's, you know, I'm sure she could talk more about her experience with that historically, but that's, that can be a game changer. I mean, it, it, one, of, one of the things about bacterial pathogens is uh, they often are game changers in that, um, you, you know, the only option is, is, is truly to you know, eradication and, and prevention when it comes to, you know, crown gall and the other one would be, you know, the, the infamous, you know, the bacterial will, you know, Southern, Southern will, you know, Ralstonia. Um, is another one that can just be, can be devastating. And then um, at the same time, there's some of the, I guess, I, I don't know if I want to say less devastating, but, but, you know, they're, they're the leaf spot, you know, you can, you can just get, you know, leaf spots from Pseudomonas, Xanthomonas, um, and, and, you know, those types, uh, are recurring and, and problematic pretty much, um, uh, uh, you know, throughout all of production. And so, and that just, you know, that just opens up a whole new, um, uh, you, you know, you can't just use conventional fungicides for the most time to control bacterial pathogens. So you got to mix it up and, and I'll let, I'll let Anne, uh, cause I'm sure she can go into, to, to more specific details, especially um, with some of the, the bedding plants. So I, I guess I'll take it from there. One thing that I want to um, alert everybody to is that our understanding of new bacterial diseases is not good. It is not good at all. We went from in the 60s and 70s, identifying things took a long time. You had to do a lot of lab tests. And then you guessed what it was anyway. And that was okay. But now we're actually getting diagnoses done with genetic testing, the dipsticks, all that kind of thing. And honestly, we used to say that xanthomonas was always a pathogen. If you got xanthomonas, you had a problem. It couldn't possibly just be there as a saprophyte, as in not causing problems. At this point, we know that is not true. There are many, many times when you can pull xanthomonas and it's not doing anything. So if we jump to a conclusion, which is something that I think happened recently on a crop, and I'm not gonna bother saying which crop because it's not very important, but we saw some leaf spots develop in propagation in a lot of different operations across the country. And there was a little bit of diagnostics done and they got out what looks like a xanthomonas, but there's been nothing else done. And we're acting like it's a new terrible disease. And we honestly don't know this. And I would really like us not to go overboard when we find something now, because we have this feeling that, wow, we know what it is now, so it's a disaster or we know how to work. The fact is we still don't really know the meaning of some of these diagnoses. So I wanna just caution you that please don't get too excited if you have a diagnosis that looks like a brand new horrible disease, it might not be. The other thing you mentioned, Aaron, was agrobacterium. And I want, I, I never believe people when they tell me, probably much of anything, but when they tell me that you can't control whatever with something, I was told you cannot control agrobacterium with any bactericides. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. It makes no sense. Of course you can do something. And guess what? You can't. 
There is nothing at all that works. If you get a diagnosis of agrobacterium and they've gone to the trouble to make sure it's one that can cause galls, because there's a bunch of them out there that cannot cause, cause galls. If it's one that's one of the bad ones, then you need to throw the plants out. There is nothing that will work. Indeed, there is almost nothing that will stop it from spreading, especially with cutting uh, tools, that kind of thing. So that's one of the worst ones. But as Aaron said, Xanthomonas and Pseudomonas are not in that same category. We have a lot of products now that we didn't have about, I guess it'd be almost 30 years ago. All we had at that point were antibiotics and copper. At this point, we have some really fine examples of coppers that actually work better, safer for the plants. Um, things like Camelot O. It's been astounding what a good product that is for bacterial disease control and a whole bunch of other diseases. But it's um, it's got a great REI. Everything's really good about it. Since that time, we actually have biological control agents that are extremely good for bacteria. Things like CEAS and triathlon BA. They're both bacillus. There's another bacterium. And they work really well. They work just as well as copper. We also have found in the last few years, uh, Dave Norman at University of Florida has done some trials on Mancozeb, which would be things like Dithane or Protect. And those work extremely well on a bunch of different bacteria, including um, Xanthomonas and Erwinia. And also we're seeing, we're, I've done trials in the last couple of years on Dacanel. So chlorothalonil is the active ingredient there. It works pretty darn good on some of these bacteria. And Syngenta's new product, Positiva, is a pretty good bactericide. It's not very impressive on Erwinia, but it's stunning on Xanthomonas and Pseudomonas. So we have more than ever got some things that we can rotate and get a handle on a lot of the bacteria. No, that's exciting. And, and I would agree that when, when you said not to go overboard um, on, on some of these diagnoses that, that we're still learning about, um, yeah, I, I, I've heard that repeated a few times now um, from others. And, and I think that's just something in our industry that we need to keep in mind right now. There's some really good testing out there, um, but there are things coming out of those tests that we're, we're still learning about. So um, that, I think that's really good advice. And the fact that there are all these new chemistries uh, coming to market from all the different companies, including, you know, C-Pro and the stuff that Aaron's working on, that, that it is an exciting time, I think, um, as we're learning more about these plants and diseases and seeing some of these trials come back with great results. So that put a, a, some of the more common uh, bacterial diseases, both the uh, the game changers, like Aaron called them, the ones that are, you know, real, real big trouble. And then some of the less devastating ones, um, put some of those on the table. And, you know, generally now what to watch for and, and some ways to avoid and address them. But let's switch to viruses, um, because I know there are common ones and probably some not so common ones to watch for. Uh, why don't you guys talk a little bit about viruses um, and, and, and some of the research that, that's going on now or what you guys are learning about them. Um, whoever wants to start, go for it. Bill, I'd be happy to, you know, I, I mentioned I, I also play in the bug world and, you know, and, and thrips are a big deal in greenhouse production, of course, Western flower thrips. And, and when you talk about Western flower thrips, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to people's mind, or at least plant pathologists mind, are the, are the TOSPO viruses. 
And so, um, and I know, you know, Anne, Anne can, I'm sure she can chime in a, a lot on, on her experience with, with viruses and in, in ornamentals, but, um, you know, the tomato spotted wilt virus, and of course the impatience necrotic spot virus, um, which is, which is actually the, the INSV uh, is, is, only transmitted to my knowledge by the Western flower thrips. And, and it's done just a tremendous job, um, you know, spreading, you know, in addition to just the movement of plant material, Western flower thrips uh, can, is, is, is really uh, a very challenging insect to control in, in the greenhouse environment. Um, but the, you know, the virus, uh, or I should say the viruses as, as tomato spotted wilt virus is also still prevalent because of primarily uh, vegetables. It's got a, it's good. They, let me just back up. They, both these have very wide host ranges. Um, but the, with, with more and more greenhouse producers growing vegetables, um, we, we do see, um, you know, the incidence of, of TOSPO viruses increase. And, and not only the, the tomato spotted wilt or the impatience necrotic spot, but there's, there's a bunch of uh, new uh, TOSPO viruses that have been uh, characterized. Um, I, I know there's some work coming out of the University of Florida, especially on, on tomatoes. Uh, where it seems like, gosh, every every other month they're talking about some some new uh, devastating TOSPO virus. Um, the uh, but one one in particular that that I came across was uh, this tomato chlorotic spot virus, and and that's just another thrips transmitted virus um, that we we actually found it on on Phalaenopsis orchids, um, and uh, the uh, you know I don't know you know how widespread that that has been since we first saw it here in South Florida, but with, especially with, you know, Phalaenopsis are a pretty big deal in our industry. So it's something definitely to keep, to keep an eye out on. And, and I should mention that, you know, the, the INSV and in, in its specific transmission with the Western flower thrips, the, the tomato spotted wilt virus um, and, and tomato chlorotic spot virus, there's, there's a number of different thrip species that, that, that are vectors for those, for those viruses. And so, um, but, you know, the, the, just the challenge of, you know, not only trying to control uh, the, the insect itself, but then the, the, you know, once you get a, a virus and then, you know, um, this kind of goes back to the, to the game changer diseases in terms of, you know, you, you're, it's going to be really challenging to try to cure a plant that has a virus. Um, and, you know, and also viruses, um, you know, by nature, the, the symptom expression is, is just all over the place. I mean, I, I, I could say there's probably a dozen different types of symptoms just from TOSPO viruses alone that can, can occur in plants. And what I've seen, um, and working in a diagnostic lab. And so, you know, the, the, the key, you know, early to be able to recognize uh, that you have a virus early on is, is very important. Um, the, the monitoring uh, with the sticky cards, the, the yellow and the blue sticky cards for thrips, especially, I know, I think it's way back in the day. Um, I think the, the threshold was like 10 to 20, adult thrips on a, on a sticky card within a week. If you, if you get up to that level, then it's, it's time to start 
start spraying and 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 uh, an insecticide for control. And I, and I don't know if those thresholds, um, you know, they things change. I know, if, especially if if you're in propagation in a situation, you may have zero tolerance, you know. But um, but again, it's just when when you bring a, a an insect vector into um, a disease, then it just becomes that much more challenging. And and so um, the you know. Those the the virus has been I, I would say have been a you know pretty big deal. Um, I know Anne's had a lot of experience with uh, with the the infamous tobacco mosaic virus, and there's you know there's a whole slew of, of viruses out there. Um, but I'll let I'll let Anne chime in, and and we'll just we'll go from there. Thanks, thanks, Aaron. The um... Viruses are by far the least interesting diseases that I've ever had anything to do with. Uh, and the main reason for that is that there's so little you can do about them. At least, honestly, if you think about the Tospo viruses, at least you have an an angle on them because you can control the thrips. But some of these things are very, very hard to do anything with except throw them away. So that doesn't interest me that much. I pretty much don't want to be involved in that. But I can tell you that the last kind of big TMV, tobacco mosaic virus outbreak that we saw on, uh, I believe it was petunias, there was a lot of attention being paid to using milk to spray surfaces down and to do, uh, to spray plants. And because I don't really do basic research anymore, I looked at all the literature and the fact is that milk actually does make the tobacco mosaic virus particle fall apart. And it's a, it is a good way to say clean surfaces or disinfect tools, it works fine, but please do not spray your plants with it because all you're gonna do is cause sooty mold. You will not do anything about the plant being infected. You will not prevent it from getting infected, but you will grow sooty mold. And it is so hard to kill sooty mold, I can't tell you. Once you get that going, you've given it sugar from the milk, you're in trouble. But milk does work to make TMV um, fall apart and therefore you you can clean up surfaces with it. The other thing is that we have a tendency as human beings to think, okay, it works on TMV, it must work on all viruses. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not going to affect any of the other viruses that aren't in that group. So it's just TMV. Viruses in a greenhouse are still a, are an ever-present uh, concern. Um, yeah, we do hear so much about TOSPO viruses right now. Um, it does seem like that that's increasing in, in maybe just the awareness and the testing, but maybe in the prevalence as well. Um, and, and certainly, again, having... Uh, uh, you know, early recognition of these symptoms, looking for these vectors, um, and really staying on top of monitoring and scouting. It's got to be like the number one way to, uh, to keep some of these under control. So uh, thank you so much for all that. I think we uh, feel like we just got a, a crash course in problems and solutions. Um, and, and like I said, some of these have been around for years. Some of them are really just emerging in the collective mindset right now, but the exciting thing is all the research that's going on into them by, you know, folks like Anne and, you know, companies like, like, like the one that, that Aaron works for, you know, and you have a lab, you do a ton of work infecting plants and studying some of the treatment methods. 
Um, and when I hear you speak, you always talk about some of the, the truly cutting edge solutions. I know you work with many companies uh, trialing and testing the, the, the newest products that, that are coming to market or considering uh, coming to market. So why don't you talk about some recommendations from your trials and Aaron, um, go ahead and jump in and talk about some of the solutions you recommend as well when you're working with growers. All right. So if I start off, I would just say at this particular point, I don't really have what I would call a lab. We no longer have a diagnostic lab, but I do grow fungi and bacteria like you're indicating. And we do quite a few trials here in Arizona. It is... Um, I work on pretty much ornamentals, not just, but pretty much. And then things like uh, strawberries, we'll be doing trials here and there because honestly, propagation of any plant is pretty similar, whether it's a strawberry or a azalea or whatever. It doesn't make that much difference because the minute you get into a greenhouse, you end up with a lot of the same problems. The most exciting things to me are the fact that we still have new products all the time. Last year, we had a Valio registered from BASF. It is a, a new sterile inhibitor, but it's got an amazing array of uh, really good efficacy. We also saw that um, OHP registered a new powdery mildew product, and it is a single frac group called Sado. And that's pretty exciting. It doesn't work on anything except powdery mildew, but it's very good. And as a new frac group, that makes it an interesting uh, and an important new tool. And this year we're seeing in March sometime, we're hoping uh, Syngenta will be launching Positiva. And it's also very exciting. It is a different combination. It's another premix, but it's another one that we're gonna see very effective on a lot of different things. And in the last few years, it's been stunning to me how many totally new frac groups we've gotten. Segovis, which is for downy mildew and um, Phytophthora is in a separate group from all the others. And let's go back and think for a second about the ones that are already in our industry. Things like Pipron, which is in its own unique group, works on powdery mildew. Uh, Decree, separate. We have nothing but Decree in that frac group. And it's been around, uh, I, don't, I think we started working on it in 98 with CPRO. And it actually works on a lot of things besides Botrytis, but it's registered on botrytis. So we're seeing broadening. We're seeing OHP broaden the label on a stun, which is a major, um, very effective product for botrytis and sclerotinia. So there's a lot of activity. It's pretty exciting to see what's going on. And we do see some, some good action as well in um, biopesticides, things that are either truly biological or they're uh, at least in the category, they are OMRI listed. There's an amazing array of OMRI listed products or things that have four hour REI. So it's, we're getting a lot of help that we didn't have for many, many years. So it's pretty exciting in that way. We, I do, I end up doing testing on whatever I can make happen. And so all I have to do with the geranium is put it in a plastic box and I can make it have botrytis. I don't ever have to inoculate it. It's just in the environment. Um, I wait until plants start to show powdery mildew, like Gerber daisies. They inevitably end up with powdery mildew if you don't do something about it. So we work on a lot of that. And uh, I do like bacteria better. And I think I might have told Aaron one of the, uh, the biggest reasons is because I don't really like microscopes at all. Really don't like them. And bacteria, you don't, it does you no good to look in a microscope at a bacterium. So I like that. And they're fast. I want stuff that is super fast. And I'm not calming down any, even though I'm getting to be elderly. 
It's not changing. <laughs> still want everything to be done really fast. So I like turnover. So I'm excited by all the new products. No, that's um, yeah, and 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 so Bill, this gives me an opportunity to just say, you know, Anne and and you know my, you know, now that I'm with CPRO and and she's we've developed a, a really good relationship with with Anne. She's doing some work with, uh, with a lot of work with stuff that we have coming down the pipeline. Um, I'll just I'll just mention um, a few things. Um, spinoff from Anne is, you know, pre, first of all, premixes are very exciting, you know, even, you know, even bringing in older chemistry and, and, you know, finding new uses, new ways to use it, uh, looking at the spectrum of activity, like she mentioned, broadening that, that activity is, is, is really exciting. But um, the, the other big thing is the, the bio-rational, the, the Omri listed, the green, you know, the, the, the the green uh products if you will um cpro has uh we have one that that ann's just started uh to to look at and, and this is a, a fermentation product um i can't i'm not at liberty to disclose the 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 active but it's a it's 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 a non-living active and it will be omri listed um and it the the really cool thing about this product is that it actually uh, has antiviral activity, uh, which that if, you know, we, we've got a long way to go with it, and especially with the diversity and ornamentals, but that's super exciting. And it's, it, it, it has, uh, you know, a plant defense inducing mechanism um, that, that they've seen, you know, early on in, in, in research. So, so that's something that, that we're really excited, uh, to see, you know, where, where that's going to go in, in ornamentals and, and, and on top of the, just the viruses, it also is actually has, has a pretty good activity on, on powdery mildew and, and some other diseases. So that, that one's exciting in itself. And then we, we also have, um, um a new fungicide, uh, you know, novel active for ornamentals um, that that we're looking forward to to bring to the industry, and, and Anne's done a lot of work with it, and has, has discovered that it's you know it's broad spectrum activity, um, and and this will be this will be one or just just like the 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 biorational one that I mentioned, this one will also uh, be labeled for for vegetables too. So that'll be nice where, you know, gives growers that that flexibility where they're spraying ornamentals, they can just go go across the board for those that, that do grow vegetables um, in, 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 in the same houses. And so um, those are those are two right off the shoot that is really exciting. But, you know, the again, my um, I, I just can't say a, enough positive things about what the direction CPRO is going and, and, um, and I'm excited to, to be on for the ride. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And you guys both touched on some, some really exciting things from the premixes and the new, unique combinations we're seeing come into market. Um, the broad spectrum products. I know that the growers really like uh, hear, hearing about those and, and the new ones that are on the horizon. Um, new frac groups. I mean, when you talk about rotation, that is so critical. And the biopesticides and the biorationals and the biological products coming to market um, and, and the ones in the market right now are giving just a ton of, of, of opportunities for a wider range of crops uh, to, to take advantage of them. And 
you know, I do think it's an exciting time. Um, Aaron, you are really on the cutting edge, I think, uh, working with uh, some of these, these products um, and, and you as well, helping these companies trial them and, and figure out what's going to work and what's not. Uh, it really is an exciting time. And, and, and I'm really, you know, grateful for this opportunity to hear from you guys. I feel like we got a, a really good overview of, of some of the, um, some of the exciting stuff going on right now when it comes to diseases and uh, especially some of the, the bacteria and viruses that, that we're looking at in greenhouses. And we could definitely spend probably hours talking about this stuff. And, and I know that, that we will uh, see each other and see you guys at, at plenty of conferences coming up. You have so many uh, anecdotes and good information to share. Um, it's really, really cool. So before we wrap this up, can you both let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you, how they can contact you, some of the resources that you and your companies have created to help uh, take the take the mystery out of these um, products and take the mysteries out of these diseases. Um, and, and anything you share, share, I'm going to link in the show notes as well. So I don't know which one of you wants to start, but let's, uh, let's let the listeners know where they can find you and find out some more information. You say ladies first. Perfect. <laughs> Okay. Um, Mike and I, my husband, have been running this business in Arizona now for about 10 years, starting the 11th year. We've got a website called chaseagri, with an I, dot com. And you can find all of the information about what we've been doing. And some of the older things that we've developed are on there or links to them. So you can do that. My email, and you're welcome to... Um, contact me is a r chase at chaseresearch.net. So feel free. I especially want to know from you what you're having challenges with, what you do not have things to help control and that kind of thing. Because when Aaron and I talk about what CPRO might want to do or any number of the other companies, I tell them what you guys need. I do not just do what they figure out. So I'll, and I want to hear from you and I visit and want to, want to keep this thing real because otherwise why bother? It's just, you know, it's not entertaining to me if it doesn't help you. That's great. That's great. Aaron, where can they, where can folks find you? Yeah. Um, and, and just like, I want to echo what, what Ann said is um, I'm all ears uh, when it comes to, you know, trying to help solve problems and and finding new things or, or just needing help with with diagnostics but uh so my my email address is is aaron p at cpro.com and it's you could say a a ron p at cpro.com and uh, the website is www.cpro.com and cpro is s-e-p-r-o if if no one doesn't if somebody doesn't know that but um yep awesome and and i will again put put those links and and your emails in the show notes for folks who want to reach out if there's something you're seeing in the greenhouse you just have no clue uh what it is or what to do about it you know both ann and aaron are amazing resources and uh can hopefully point you in the right direction or maybe it becomes a research project so uh feel free to reach out to both of them you know, Ann and Aaron, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I really enjoyed this. Um, you guys are both uh, 
have such a wide range of knowledge. Um, and it's just been great to talk to you guys. So thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. And it's partners uh, like you guys that, that make this uh, valuable for the listeners. So uh, take care out there this spring. Keep up the good work. And I'm Bill Calkins with Tech on Demand, reminding you to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app like iTunes, Spotify, really whichever one that you use, you're going to find Tech on Demand. And then you're never going to miss an episode and jump back in the archives because we got a lot of topics uh, in there that, that are going to be of, of interest to you. So here's to a fantastic 2022 season. Take care out there.